think you're going to go with Katie, is that right? This morning's uh, sermon text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, verses 13, or chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, and then 44 through 52. Listen for God's word for you. He told them another parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that someone hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that people threw into the lake and gathered all the fish. When it was full, they pulled it to the shore where they sat down and put the good fish together into containers and the bad fish they threw away. That's the way it will be in the end of the present age. The angels will go out and separate evil people from the righteous people and will throw the evil ones into a burning furnace. People there will be there. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Have you understood all of these things? Jesus asked. They said to him, "Yes." Then he said to them, "Therefore, every legal expert who has been trained as a disciple for the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings old and new things out of their treasure chest." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Pigeon Forge in the Gatlinburg area, and we were driving through town when my mother reminded me of a story from a pre- previous visit to Pigeon Forge. I- I'm guessing, I can't remember my exact age, but I was guessing I was around 12 or 13, and we went and stayed in a perfectly normal Pigeon Forge hotel. And one night we were out to eat, and I got in a hold of a couple of those pamphlets. You know what I'm talking about? The like 10,000 of them that are in the lobby of every restaurant. And as a kid, they all looked like the greatest things on earth. And for some reason, I became fixated on this one hotel that I thought, man, our trip would be so much better if we stayed at this one hotel. And I got a hold of it, and I kept saying to my parents, like, see, you chose the wrong hotel, which I think now is like about the rudest thing I could have said to my parents, that boy, you've really messed this vacation up from the beginning and choosing this hotel. And so I was so insistent with them. I said, we have to go to this other one. Look, it's, it's in a better location. It's a better hotel. It has a better pool, a better slide. It's by the river. We'll have gorgeous views of the river. And so, so I kept begging them and begging them. And against my parents' better judgment, they called the hotel room hotel and actually booked a room there. My insistence finally got them to relent, and we changed hotels. And so we got there, and the place was a dump. (laughs) The pool was littered with people drinking and smoking and making a racket. We hardly could sleep at night because the place smelled terrible and people were so noisy. And, of course, we didn't have that beautiful view of the river we thought we'd have. 
My expectations and the reality of the hotel did not match up. You know that little phrase, it was used in this scripture over and over. The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is trying to help us understand what life is like and will be like in a place and time where God reigns as king. Jesus didn't mean the way heaven in the sense that we often use it. God and angels floating in clouds up above. Jewish people often didn't even say God's name out of reverence for God. And so the kingdom of heaven is like, was like that they were saying, what, like Jesus was saying to them, I'm going to tell you what it's like and how it's going to be when God rules this world as king. That's what that phrase means. I'm going to tell you what it's like when God is ruling this world as a king. And not only did Jesus say that little phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, he also said that the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. It's within you. It's in your midst. That's the theme of the book of gospel. Uh, the, the gospel of Matthew just happens over and over again. I see like half of you are looking at my daughter instead of me. <laughs> this kingdom that Jesus is describing is not some abstract concept up in the distance. It is possible. It is here. And now possible. It is possible to live it, to taste it, to see what life is going to be like when God ultimately rules as king. But just like my understanding of that hotel, our expectations usually don't mesh with the reality of God's kingdom. That's why Jesus tells these funny, upsetting, confounding stories because it's the best way to illustrate to people what that future heaven is going to be like. So look at that first story, the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. What's interesting is the mustard bush is not really a prized thing to have. It's a weed. You wouldn't have found ancient Jewish families planting a mustard tree intentionally. You wouldn't find it in their community gardens, in their backyards. It was a weed. Only through pure accident would that tiny seed slip into the other seeds and grow in a garden. You know what mustard seed is for us? It's kudzu. It's a mess. It grows all over the place and it seems to have almost no purpose. So it's like if Jesus were to tell us that parable day today, he would say the kingdom of heaven is like a kudzu sprout that someone took and planted in a community garden. And by the way, a mustard tree should not be called a tree. It grows only about two feet tall. It's hardly even a tree. But you see, trees in that ancient world were symbolic of something else. It was symbolic of empires. And so Jesus chose his words really carefully. Much like our own family trees, trees were often used to symbolize the succession of rulers and the strength of the empire. It was called the imperial tree. So Jesus calling that little shrub a tree 
Not only that, but calling it the largest of trees was a provocative statement. It's like the parable would sound like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a kudzu sprout that someone took and planted in a community garden. It is the smallest of sprouts, but when it's grown, it is the largest of all trees. It becomes the nation, the kingdom, in which all people find shelter and peace. Isn't that a different sounding parable now? It doesn't sound as quaint. And I think that's why, as Americans, this is a very difficult parable to interpret. At first, it sounds like everything we value. We love this idea of the scrappy underdog, the tiny group of people defining, defying all odds to win a tournament or to become a successful business. We, we love might and power. We think that's how the world operates, with privilege and power. But notice Jesus' words. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's not like the tree it becomes. It's like the seed that it begins with. God's rule is like a mustard seed. Have you ever seen one? It's, it's just tiny. It's like an eyelash. And what I, say to, what I want to say to you is this is good news. It reminds us that in God's kingdom, it's not the seeds of the powerful or the most valued that God builds his kingdom with. It's with small groups of people like us, weeds. It's tiny groups of people with faithful ideas about how God's kingdom is built. God's kingdom is built through meekness, subtlety, self-sacrifice, not power and might. God's kingdom is near in this world and with us when small groups of people who this world tends to overlook care enough about their neighbors to love them unconditionally. Out of insignificance, God's kingdom will blossom. Out of the smallest act of faithfulness to God, God's kingdom can break through. That's what the mustard seed means to us. But he doesn't stop there. He tells five of these parables here in this short little section. Less than 200 words, he tells five funny stories. There's that next one, talking about yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through the dough. I'm really asking you this question. What type of bread did ancient Jews eat? What was unique about it? Unleavened, it didn't have yeast in it. Isn't that interesting? Yeast was a leavening agent. It, for ancient Jews, would have been a symbol of corruption. And yet, that's what Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to. Of all the things you could choose, Jesus, why would you choose yeast? And notice what the woman does with the yeast. She doesn't knead it into the flour. She doesn't press it into the flour. What does she do? She hides it in the flour. And if we go back and look at the original Greek, the point here is that she is using so much yeast in flour that she is making enough bread for 150 people, enough for a party. What a weird story. Yeast, the agent of corruption, put into enough dough to make food for 150 people. To many people in the world today, the kingdom of heaven is hidden. They cannot see it. 
They cannot taste it. And yet, we know that an extravagant feast is being prepared for them. One commentator, one commentator I read said it this way. He said that if we were to tell this parable today, this is the best guess to what he said it would sound like. The kingdom of God is like a preacher who preached every Sunday to a congregation of 25 people in a city of 2 million. The preacher kept on preaching until the whole city believed the gospel. Even though the kingdom is hidden from the sight of many people, we are called to help people uncover this yeast that is hidden, to help them see the feast that is being prepared for them by God, a feast that we can see and experience here and now, a feast of love, a feast of meaning, a feast of purpose, of forgiveness and community. That's what that story should mean to us. And then there's that funny story. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that someone hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. Have you ever noticed that there is something shady going on in that story? Philip owns a plot of land. He's hired Thomas to take care of the land, to mow it, to prune the trees, to keep it in good shape. And one day, Thomas was mowing the plot of land, and he ran over a strange bump, and the lawnmower ground to a halt. And so Thomas jumped off the mower to discover that he had run over a treasure chest full of gold hidden on the property. And so Thomas rehides it. Assuming that Philip didn't know about this, Thomas goes and sells everything he owns to purchase the plot of land from Philip, thus getting the land and the hidden treasure. Doesn't there seem to be something a little unethical about that story? Even with ancient Roman law that would have been grounds for a lawsuit, this is not good behavior. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure found or rehidden and then purchased under suspect circumstances? What a strange way to make a point. But Jesus also used other occasions in the gospel to use shady individuals to prove points. There was that parable of the widow and the unjust judge from Luke's gospel. And this is a perfect example of this. But what I want on you to focus, today, focus on today is the urgency of the man who buys the field. He recognizes the great worth of the treasure. And he immediately goes and sells everything he has to purchase that plot of land. Maybe this story reminds you of that scene earlier when Jesus tells the rich young ruler that he must sell everything and give it to the poor in order to be his disciple. The actions of that shady, unethical individual highlight that simple truth that we have forgotten. That the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. It is the reality that we should desire above all things. It is the cause worth orienting our whole lives toward. It is the treasure that we should urgently pursue, acquiring it, acquiring it at all costs. The kingdom of God is a treasure hidden in a field. But then there's another story immediately after that that sounds so similar to it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he owned and bought it. 
And on the surface, this parable seems really similar to the first one. They're both about individuals who sell everything they own to purchase something precious. So outside of the fact that the merchant in this parable didn't do anything unethical in his search for a pearl, what do you think? What's the major difference in these two stories? Anyone have a thought? What's the major difference between the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure and the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant? Anybody? It's subtle. In the first story, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure that we give everything up to possess. But in the second story, the kingdom of heaven is the one who gives up everything to possess the pearl. They're mirror images of each other. This parable of the merchant is a beautiful picture of God's pursuit of humanity, fully embodied in Jesus, excuse me, in Jesus Christ. We are the precious pearl in this story. We are the ones that God is pursuing. We are the ones that God has given God's all to possess. And what's so beautiful about this is I think at times we feel as though the kingdom of heaven is something that is detached from us. It's something unobtainable, set apart, high above. And it often drives in us this sense of guilt and sense of shame in our religion. We foolishly believe our God is a God who sits in heaven angry at us. We live each moment trying to not disappoint God. And this makes us feel insignificant and worthless, like we have no value. But look at this story. You are precious. The kingdom of heaven is like that merchant. God is searching for you. And when God finds you, God will give God's all to have you. This story is fully on display in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gave up the eternal security of heaven to become human in Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus lived and he taught how to live out that kingdom here on earth. And he believed in that cause so much that even in the face of threats and certain death, he did not quit sharing the message of love and hope and community. And he lost his life in dedication to the kingdom of God. What more could he have given for you? Know this, you are precious to God, and the kingdom of God is searching for you. And there's that final little story today, the parable of the net. And it's probably the most confusing one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that people threw into the lake and gathered all kinds of fish. When it was full, they pulled it to shore where they sat down and put the good fish together into containers, but the bad fish they threw away. As followers of Jesus Christ, what we realize is that the kingdom of God has not yet fully arrived. It's not totally here yet. Now, we may experience moments of it, moments in life-giving relationships, in moments of wholeness and peace, in moments where we're serving others or living out self-sacrificial love. We experience, we taste it in that moment, but it's not fully here. But we know that day is coming when Jesus will return and the kingdom will fully be present. 
And that's what this kingdom is about, that day when the kingdom fully comes. It's about preparation. I want to encourage you, you're not meant to see yourselves as the net. You're not meant to see yourself as the fishers sorting the fish. You're not even meant to see yourself as the fish and be obsessed with saying, am I a good fish or a bad fish? That's not the point of this story. The story is merely meant to encourage you that you are to use every moment of your life here on earth to prepare for the kingdom of heaven. So now, now is the moment when you can choose compassion over indifference. Now is the moment when you can choose self-sacrificial love over selfish pursuits. Now is the moment when you can let go of ignorance and prejudice. Now is the moment when you can embrace the kingdom of heaven. So in five simple stories, in less than 200 words, Jesus upends our understanding of how God works and how God's reign is going to look like. Jesus reminds us that the kingdom is not made up of the powerful and influential. It's made up of seemingly insignificant people, weeds like you and I. God's kingdom works in the tiniest, almost imperceptible ways. And God uses people with no influence and no power to somehow radically transform the world. Jesus reminds us that God's kingdom is often hidden, hidden from our sight. But even though it's hard to see it, there is an abundant feast of love and mercy being prepared for us. God is calling us to help others see the yeast that is hidden in the flower. Jesus reminds us that God's kingdom is like a treasure, one that calls us to give our whole selves to obtain it, to fully live into God's kingdom. There is no aspect of our lives that should remain untouched. We give all, sell all, dedicate all to have this treasure. And we do so with urgency, just like that unethical individual. Urgency because the treasure is worth the price. And Jesus reminds us that God's kingdom is pursuing us, that we are precious to God, and that God is willing to give God's all to obtain us. And Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of God is near, it is close. And that moment by moment, we should be preparing for its arrival. God's kingdom is near. It is within you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.